This is Learn From Others, where we interview a cross-section of successful individuals so you can learn from their experiences, achievements, and even their mistakes. We ask four questions that will educate and inspire. Greg Stanley will be your guide as we join our guests on a journey from adolescent daydreaming to success in today's world. Join us on this adventure as we learn from others together. Well, welcome to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. I'm very excited to introduce our special guest today, Patrick Kelly. Patrick, how are you doing today? Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate you being on this show. Well, before we find out what you're actually doing today, if you would, could you tell me what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a businessman. Really? Now, why was that? You know, I followed my father. My dad owned his own businesses growing up, and I've got pictures laying around somewhere in my mom's, uh, I would say, house with me wearing my dad's ties, walking around in a diaper, and carrying his briefcase <laughs> out around when I was like two two years old. So I always, you know, followed my father, and it just I had this sense that I wanted to do business. I didn't know what kind of business, but I was the businessman. Wow, you were the businessman. Had the outfit and everything. Well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> well, you know, leading right into that, what do you do today? So currently, I am the uh, vice president of a company called Flavorwave LLC in Woodlake, California, and that's a produce and supply chain company that you know distributes fruit throughout the entire uh, globe, and we import fruit into the United States as well as I'm a keynote speaker and published author of Millennial Boom and a podcast host as well. Wow, that is a lot of stuff. So, all right, well, cool. Well, take take us through you wanting to be a businessman, walking around in your diapers with a nice little suit on, (laughs) to how you got to where you are today. Kind of walk us through your educational path, your, your career path, and different jobs that kind of influenced where you are today. For sure. And if you have not seen Baby Boss, the the Disney yes I have yeah okay <laughs> that was me I was like the the guy not the baby boss in the suit because I was still in the diaper but I wasn't yet the big kid with the diaper with the muscles I was like that in between I had some etiquette but yet I was still a baby and I would follow my dad around and that's how it really started right so when my dad would have business dealings right he would have people over the house to have dinner right creating relationships with his uh, customers vendors things like that. I was always just standing around listening, right? Uh, you know, as they created their groups outside and they were talking about business, I would stand there and listen as a, at a very young age. And I think as my dad was a workaholic, and I talk about this in my book, Millennial Boom, that there's a, you know, help, I'm a workaholic. My dad was a workaholic, so that's kind of where I found my space to be able to hang out with my dad too, right? It was kind of like work, own your own business, do your own thing. You've got this time, this balance. So I started just kind of hanging around my dad's um, network of people when he had them over the house. And then when I became of age or my brothers came of age, um, <laughs> I used my brother's social security number to get my first job. So Wow, I did you really? I did. I did. And they found out very quickly, very quickly. <laughs> so I used my brother and I's social security number are only two digits off. We're born 13 months apart, but our digits are only two numbers off. So I was able to remember his uh, social security number, and I got my first job uh, washing dishes under my brother's social security number, and I just had this sense of urgency uh, to kind of work. So I'd been a dishwasher. Um, I actually started mowing lawns as a kid, washing cars. I talk about in my book about stories of even 
being a common entrepreneur at 16, I went to the local real estate gentleman mowing the lawn, and I asked him how many lawns, you know, does he have and that he mowed, and then I would take over that for him and kind of be his lawn maintenance guy for all the houses he was selling in town. So I was just creating ways to kind of make money and kind of have my own business. And again, it did stem from watching my father. So then I got into retail. I went to work for Winn-Dixie as a kid, went to work for Walgreens as a kid, right? I started getting that chain of different levels of, right, the entry-level positions and understanding. And then one day it hit me. One of my managers said to me, Patrick, do you want to be another duck in society or do you want to be more? And I was like, what? (laughs) I I didn't know what that meant. I was 16 years old. Like, you know, I was – my dad was having to pick oranges in the field and do all that. I didn't know what, like, I'm like a duck. What are you talking about, man? And he said, well, duck, you come to work, collect your paycheck, do what you're told and don't do anything more or anything less. And I said, no, I don't want to be like that at all. Right. And it's, and at 16, it hit me. I didn't want to be like that. So I started creating ways to make money on my own, to do things on my own. I worked for my parents' family business. Um, I moved out to California uh, from where we lived in Florida before to go to my father's business. You know, I just, I went to a path of just, I thought success was owning my own business and being a businessman, right? And that's what I strive for. And now at the age of 34 today, um, I've owned and operated over seven businesses. I've sold a business. Um, I've closed down a business. I've done a lot of different things within being a businessman and I love it. And I still am constantly creating new ways of making money and enjoying my life. Wow, so that's not your traditional career path to become probably a VP of procurement anywhere, I would assume, right? That's pretty uh, entrepreneurial, right? right? Well, you got to look at this. So think about that path. I said I started seven, eight companies, and that's why I wanted to lead. So how am I all of a sudden a VP of procurement? Well, how I looked at it is I came up with my, my partner and said, hey, I want to we want to create a business based off these lines or streams of verticals and revenues, right? And he found his best nature where he plays, which was sales and marketing. And mine was really on the procurement side. So when we started this business, we were, we were over saying, I'm the president and CEO. I'm this. We kind of took it as, what do you do best? So I was like, I do procurement best. Because I worked with my parents and in their company in agriculture and produce and supply chain my entire life. So I knew what I did best. So we took what we did best and we formed a new company based off our passion, which mine was procurement. His was sales, and we created a small business based off doing that. So I call myself the VP of procurement when really I'm the founder, um, but I just don't look at it that way anymore. I promote what's in my passion. Wow. So that's pretty cool. So you took your strengths, he took his strengths, and you figured out a business model that would work to both of those, correct? Correct. And let let me be real here when I say this. um, This is not our full-time jobs either. So he manages... That company, probably 20% of his time, I probably manage the company about 40% of my time, and the company in turn runs itself when we're not running it. Right. Well, that's the great way, the best way to have it, right? To have passive income happening when you're not there, right? (laughs) Exactly. Different levels of income. And that's why you said, if you go back to the story about all this leading up, I mean, I, I worked for my parents. I've been a fruit buyer. I've been a salesman. I've owned these companies buying and trading logistics. But in every single place I had, I was always happy to do either all of it or some of it. And each segment or each vertical made a lot of profits. 
but it wasn't my passion. Now that I'm able to just kind of meet with growers, understand their needs, work with them, and I have someone taking care of the sales and the marketing aspect of it, I mean, that's powerful because you're letting us exploit our passion. And don't get me wrong, do I like sales? Yes, I love meeting with all the big customers and all the big guys in the world, right? But at the end of the day, I connect better with this certain class, right? I, this culture is, is easier and uh, better for me. Right, right. Now, if you would, typically I would ask, what's the typical day or week like for your role? Yours is a little different because it's a 40% of your total workload, it sounds like. So if you would, just from a VP of procurement, tell us about that. Like, what do you source? Where do you source? Who does it go to? Who's the end user? Is it restaurants? Is it individuals? Is it farmers markets? Kind of go through your VP of consumer or VP of procurement job. Yeah, so this is perfect. So right now I'm preparing for imports. So if you look at a day in the life, I'm working a lot right now, uh, probably more hours than my 40% because, it's the time that we're setting up imports, and especially during the uh, crisis that we're in right now, imports are taking a little bit longer to get here than usual. So my days start out with uh, checking with the ports, making sure that are the ports open, how are we looking for the next week, uh, what's the president saying about uh, open lines of communication and trade with other countries that we're bringing fruit from. I check with our customs brokers to understand if people are bringing in fruit right now, what are the delays that they might be having, or what are the external factors that we need to let our customers know. Um, and then it goes to talking to the grower, letting the grower know what prices we're selling at, right, communicating with our sales team, which is my partner, saying, hey, where are we selling at? Is it going to all these BJs? Is it going to uh, Charlie's Steakhouse? You know, where are, where's our fruit going? Understanding the market. Um, and then getting on current events throughout the day. So I'll look at current events. I scan through all the articles from the Produce News to Fresh Plaza to Logistics uh, podcast, and I, I just kind of keep them on in the background to understand where we're at. And then by the end of the day, like I said, that is all normally done by about noon. Um, and then throughout the rest of the day, it's literally just emailing and saying, hey, when do we expect fruit to start? When do we expect picking? How's the fruit quality looking? So it's a constant, I would say, um, a cycle of even the crop, right? It's, it's just we're, when the crop's coming off, how we're delivering. Are each supply chains open to deliver this crop? So it's a very intuitive job, too, and it seems like it's full-time, and it can be for a lot of people. It, this, this job can take you 40, 50 hours a week if you don't have the right systems and structures in place. Trust me, because there's a lot more paperwork to be held if you don't have an online database and online system. So – all of this entails into probably the day, and I do a little bit of this each day throughout the week. And then once the loads get here, it's a completely different story. Yeah, and just to be clear, we are in the midst of the COVID-19, and by the time this posts, hopefully it will be in the distant past. So you have a lot of stuff going on. Tell us a little bit how uh, COVID-19 is impacting your day-to-day ability to procure fruits and vegetables. So it's impacting us because if the ports shut down, uh, we can't bring fruit in and we can't ship fruit out. Now, domestically, we're fine to cover all, all states in the United States. But remember, we feed, as a nation, we feed billions of people across the world. Not one piece of produce is grown in the United States. For instance, if I'm going to give you a spoiler alert, pineapples are not grown inside the continental U.S. They are wow. not. The closest you will get is Mexico. 
a Mexican pineapple. So again, there's a lot of things that are required. So every single time you see a pineapple in the store, that is not a U.S. product, and it never will be unless it's from Hawaii, and which Hawaii has actually stopped shipping domestically to the East Coast. There are only a few that get uh, uh, Hawaiian pineapples. So, so you got to know that, right? There's there's things that get affected. So again, yes, we're seeing the ports slow down. We're seeing not as much container ships going out. This is affecting how much fruit is coming on the water. Argentina, Peru, all these different countries are lacking their shipments because obviously people are shutting down, cleaning their facilities, creating new protocols for food safety. So as we've been really hectic, busy with understanding what's happening, everyday changes within the produce and supply chain world because we are really relying on our ports to stay open and understand what is happening within logistics, supply chain, and being an essential business. Wow. Yeah, I can see that being really tough. to. You kind of have to be able to turn and pivot pretty quick, depending on what's happening on a day-to-day basis, correct? Oh, correct. And think about it like this. All the restaurants, now restaurants, my wife said this to me the other day. She goes, stop telling people that restaurants are closed down. And I go, I apologize. Restaurants are shut down to like the produce and supply chain industry because as people go into restaurants, they ask, hey, can I get an extra lime? Hey, can I get a splash of citrus in my vodka cram? You know, they ask for different things. And now that a lot of these companies have gone to just order and delivery, we're not getting as much orders. That business has cut back almost 90 to 100%. So we're not getting those extra orders for, for asparagus or for lemons because lemons go in everything in a restaurant. I went, to the, I went and had tacos the other night delivered, and what do you think? They didn't come with any limes. No limes. And right. I'm a taco guy, and I want limes with my tacos. I got no limes in the tacos. So it's affecting every industry in a different way. Wow. Yeah, that's really, really amazing. Now, do you feel like your business will recover fairly quickly, or do you think it will be a more of a long, drawn-out recovery? I think it's going to be um, as long as imports, and my partner and I were talking about this, as long as the imports are steady and can come in, we're not big enough to cause an impact, but we are small enough for them to say, hey, we don't need you this year, if that makes sense. Right, right. So we're hoping if everything stays on path, we will do just fine this year and probably be right on budget. If things shut down and we get more fruit, if fruit gets delayed or we get shut down for any reason, um, we'll be a million dollars under budget and you're possibly talking about applying for a stimulus package. If that, you know, there's, there's, there's all options are being considered depending on what the market does. Right. And by what you mean, not big enough, I'm assuming that means like they, there might be a large customer that comes in and asks for all the volume or all the product that's available and that just squeezes you out, right? Correct. I, I'm not Walmart, but I definitely compete with Walmart and I, and I could sell to a Walmart at times. Does that make sense? So yeah. At, yeah. So at times I could be Walmart's vendor and then at times I'm Walmart's customer and then at right. times I'm the direct competitor. Yeah. That's really amazing. As a reminder, you can check out all previous episodes at learnfromothers.org. And if you are an educator or a student, you can search for podcasts by Career Cluster. All right, Patrick. So we learned what you wanted to be when you grew up, which was a businessman and what you actually do today, which is a businessman, which is pretty cool. So looking back on your career, what would you do differently? Yeah. So looking back on my career, what would I do differently? I wouldn't have been such a workaholic. I believe that I worked very hard in my younger days, and I really, I would say, in despite, I left not just my family, but I was growing my family at the time, and I thought that status was more important, 
um, than anything else. I, you know, I worked my way through college, and I had a fun time doing it. Um, I love, met a lot of friends along the way. Uh, looking back, I would say there was probably so many people that uh, I dismissed or I might have been arrogant to, you know, to because I was so young and I was working so hard and I had this passion to be or I would say obsession to be a businessman, and I became very successful very quick. And I believe at times that becomes with maturity, and I didn't understand how to harness that. So I made a lot of enemies when I was younger, but then made a lot of friends. So if I could look back and say have a little bit of emotional intelligence and a little bit more maturity, it probably would have helped me uh, be a better person today. Wow, that's really wise looking back on that, that that's something that you would have changed. Wow, that's really cool. Well, let's talk to the student who would like to do what you do. So put that as you will, as an entrepreneur or as a VP of procurement. Could get really specific there if you like. Uh, what advice would you give them? Is there a typical a typical career path? I would say I am different. And everybody says today, you be you. Well, let me just tell you something. If you're going to you be you, be prepared. Be prepared for the struggles. Be prepared for the hardships and be prepared for one million no's and then another 500,000 no's and then possibly a maybe that leads to a yes. <laughs> the, life, the life that I live is not for the faint of heart that wants to just, oh, I want to be a businessman. I want the corner office. I don't have a corner office. I work out of my house. But I can tell you, I am happy with what I do, and I developed five to six levels of income that is able to live my life, which is pay the bills, pay the rent, pay the mortgage, pay everything. And so you've got to understand what you're actually looking for. Because I have many students that I, that I teach. I worked at Hillsborough Community College in the entrepreneurship program uh, for a year. And they were like, I want to be like you. And I said, but do you really? I said, you want to be like you. What's your passion? How do we exploit your passion? And whether you work for someone or not, as a VP of procurement, Yes, we're hiring people, salesmen, and, and people every day to help run our organization. And I would say as the VP of procurement, come out with your expertise. Come out with your passion. Talk to me. Even though you might know as I might be a subject matter expert over you, talk to me about how you want to be involved. You know what I mean? Give me, give me the reasons why your passion helped these things succeed and help everybody succeed, Right. And then if you're the other side, if you're the entrepreneur at heart, know that business comes and goes. So there's going to be a lot of times where you get very successful very quick, like myself in my early 20s. And I'm still successful to this day. But what I'm saying is you pivot and adjust. Compared to being the CEO of a multi-million dollar corporation in 2010, compared to being a VP of procurement now, how we adjust and align our lives made that happen. So be prepared as an entrepreneur to have to pivot and adjust being your own boss and knowing that your customer, your vendor, your supplier, whoever that is, is really the person that you'll be taking the, taking the, uh, the listening to. You'll be taking that advice from them. You'll be taking that direction from them because they're the one who's paying your bill and floating you for you to survive. Right. That's really, really great advice. A lot of people think it is a lot easier than it really is. You know, they see the flashy results in some few cases and, you know, there's a lot of grunt work in there every day. There's a lot of stuff that has to go into it. So that's really, really great advice. 
Well, are there any projects you're working on that you would like to share? I know you mentioned you are a fellow podcaster. We actually met down at PodFest in Orlando. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to share about that? Sure, yeah, and it was always it was great to meet you at PodFest. It was PodFest was awesome. If you haven't been to PodFest or learned about it, it's a great experience. You learn a lot, and you meet a lot of great people. So recently, I started a new podcast on April 1st, Greg, that you don't know about yet unless you follow me on social media called the Produce Industry Podcast. So it talks all things produce. We talk about supply. We talk about demand. We talk about trends. I mean, you're going to hear from onion growers in Idaho. You're going to hear from citrus farmers in California. And it's all going to lead down to what ends up in the store, in the restaurant. And then I also talk about that the consumers uh, are the people that drive the trends. So if you're not telling your, your produce department or your stores what you want in the stores, they're just going to guess. They're just going to be like, think about what trends people are telling them. You as a consumer tell the retailer what you want. And if you check out my podcast, you're going to hear from real growers and real people that have real talk. So it's really fun. And then I have the Millennial Boom podcast as well that talks about millennials and boomers, the two largest working generations in the workplace today. And we go over how to thrive together in life and work. That's really awesome, man. Well, I appreciate your time today. What's the best way for listeners to learn more about you and your company? Sure. So if you want to reach out to me direct, thepatrickkelly.com. I'm also on all social media platforms as thepatrickkelly or thepatrickkelly85. And you can also reach out if you want to look at millennialboomnow.com to get some more resources and insightful tips on how millennials and boomers can thrive together in life and work. But if you shoot me a message on thepatrickkelly.com, it goes right to my email, and I'm able to respond within 24 hours. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Awesome, Greg. Appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. Where will our next adventure take us? Subscribe to find out. If you know of someone who has a cool career story or occupation, contact Greg through Instagram at GregStanleyLFO. That's G-R-E-G-S-T-A-N-L-E-Y-L-F-O. And we will see you soon as we learn from others together.